Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. We're glad you're journeying with us, and we hope that you find value from the teachings. If you'd like to connect or support the mission of Grace and Peace Church, check us out at graceandpeacechurch.org or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Grace and Peace. Right. Um, so we are in chapter 15 in Mark, and uh, I'm pretty excited about it because we've been journeying through it for a long time. And we're going to kind of, I don't want to say like skip over, but there's some stuff that gets repetitive in chapter 15. So I'm going to kind of hit on really what the culmination is of our last few messages um, and where it's going. And then Chris, and next week's going to talk about resurrection because there's a lot of passages in there that kind of have a lot of, uh, just it's get, it can get repetitive when you start to talk about um, the crucifixion. Not that this is a bad thing because we do need to focus on it, which we're going to talk about today. Um, but uh, I just wanted to kind of like hit chapter 15 and then we're going to hit 16 next week. So um, first thing is I want to say last week, we kind of covered some of the I am statements that Jesus makes, really bold statements, which lay the groundwork for what we're talking about today, because that's what ultimately gets him in trouble, <laughs> so to speak, if you simplify it, but gets him arrested, um, gets him put before the Sanhedrin, which we talked about last week, if you want to go back and listen to that. And now what we're going to see is he's put before uh, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, okay? And so the I am statements that he makes, these bold statements of like, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that's what gets him arrested, okay? And we kind of have to know that in order to understand what we're talking about when we talk about this passage, if you're not familiar with it. So um, so just want to give that little background, and let's read 1 through 15 in chapter 15, and the verses will be on the screen. Um, and then we're going to whiteboard some stuff, which will be fun. So, as soon uh, as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. This is the only thing that Jesus responds to. That's the only thing that he says. You have said so. So he basically confirms it. And the chief priests accused him of many things. I like that it's just a, like a vague variety, many things. And, the, and Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges uh, they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. So he's amazed at his response that he's just like, he's not going to defend himself. Like they're accusing him of all these lies, and he doesn't say a single thing. And Pontius Pilate, the governor, the one who's in charge here, um, basically is just, he's like, I'm amazed at what's going on here. So check this out. It goes on in verse 6. Now at the feast... He used to release, uh, to, to release for them one prisoner for, one they, for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. Which is an interesting line we're going to unpack. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, 
Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to him, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Okay, so this is the passage that we're going to unpack What I want to do is look at the characters that are involved. There are four different people that are involved here, four different um, people groups, I should say, um, that are involved in this situation. And what I want to do is look at how their character was developed and how they handled this confrontation, okay? Um, Because we have Pontius Pilate, we have Jesus, we have the chief, chief priests, and we have a crowd that just keeps going, crucify him, go for it. And, um, and what I want to do is kind of look at how they handle it and why they maybe handle it the way that they did, okay? But the first thing I want to do is begin to look at something called character. So this is where some crowd participation needs to come in. How do you build good character? This is probably a question that some of you have wrestled with, if you have kids. Um, How do you build good character? What are some of the things that maybe your parents told you or that you felt is important in building character? So there's no wrong answers. I'm just going to throw some stuff up here, but how do you build character? I have really horrible handwriting, but you can probably get the idea of what's going on based on what's on the screen. How do you build character? Any thoughts on it? Like examples. All right. Learning from people who have good character. Is that what you mean by like an example? They lead by example, and you can watch them and observe it. Um, trials. Mm-hmm-hmm. Trials. So difficult parts of life build character, right? Like the challenging things. Anything else? What else do you guys think of? Like there's no wrong answers. Specific or not specific. You need to know your values. Knowing your values? Yeah. Um, 100%. Now my handwriting's getting worse as I get lower. No values. That's right. Because if you... Experiences. Experiences. I like that. I mean, I like them all, but anything else? Habits. We're going to start going this way. (laughs) What else we got? There's probably a few more. Anything else? Anybody grow up playing sports? Did it build character? I know that from my kids playing sports right now. They walk off the field blaming everybody for their problems and why they lost. They're not in the room, so I can say that. Courage? Nice. Oh, we're losing space. You guys can see how well my spelling is, too. Anything else? Like your religious beliefs? Yeah. Definitely. Kind of like values. Um, 
know you're religious. Beliefs? Is that a good, good list? Do you guys feel like that covers a good, good amount of character building? I would agree. Um, character is one of those things that every leadership guru will talk about, right? And they'll start to break it down. I'm sure you guys can't even read a thing that I wrote there, but um, they're up there as a reminder of what is valuable, what is important, and what begins to determine how we react in situations, right? So I just told you guys, like, my kids are playing sports. Spent all day yesterday on a lacrosse field watching them play game after game. And some games they won, and some games they lost. Some, day, some games they lost, they walked off the field going, it was the ref, you know, pointing the finger at somebody, right? It was the ref's fault. He's not calling all the shots, you know. And, um, and then, or, you know, like certain team players weren't doing their part. And so they'll just they'll blame somebody else. They're always trying to blame somebody for, like, why they're losing. Characters developed in those processes where we begin to have trials, right? Where we have those challenges, where we're faced with something that begins to reveal how we react when things fall apart or when things go really good, right? So when things go really good, they get complacent and they go, yeah, we're awesome. And I'm like, you're awesome? <laughs> yeah, you are. But just wait until the next game where there's a team that might be better than you and then you're going, yeah, we're not as awesome as we were like 10 minutes ago. What's going on? Um, some of the games they would walk on them, I'll walk on the field and within the first minute, three goals were scored on them. And they're instantly going, what did we just do? You know, and they're deflated. Character is developed by these challenges and we have to be conscious about it. And so what I want to do is look at how these individuals react to this scenario. And I hope that it gives us some fuel for thought as we think about our own character, as we think about our own lives, and we think about how we begin to react to challenges that we're faced because um, we all face challenges, right? Um, I don't think anybody in this room is exempt. They're just different. And they're different phases and different phases of life, right? When you're younger, they're a little different. Like the challenges my girls face right now versus what they're going to face when they're older, it's going to be different. But I think if we continually think about what does it mean to build good character, um, we begin to see what Jesus is doing in a whole new light, and we begin to see how Jesus can begin to speak into that. And so that's just my hope. Um, I'm going to show you guys, we're going to go through these four characters, and then I want to show you guys some ways to maybe begin to think about how we live that out, okay? Um, so the first thing I would say is um, Pontius Pilate, the first character we see in this situation, how he handles it. So he's a, a governor, a Roman governor of this province. Uh, so he would be in charge of this area, where, where they live, um, and any kind of religious community with, underneath his umbrella would have to have decisions made by him. Um, they would be under their rule. That's why a lot of um, what you see here with the chief priests, um, their frustration is Roman rule being pressed down on top of them. Um, and so what happens here is they utilize that power to begin to I think, play out what they hope to do. And was, this is kind of going back to last week, which I'm going to hit on again in a second. But um, their agenda, their goal of trying to remove Jesus because he's challenging their 
beliefs, their lifestyle, the, the comfort that they have, um, they're trying to remove them. And so they're using Roman government, basically, to help in that process. But what we see here is Pontius Pilate responds by asking some questions. And his questions aren't really answered by Jesus, are they? Jesus stays there silent. Basically says, you got your answer. You know exactly what it is. And I think it's interesting because when someone questions you and if you're defensive, you're generally going to give a lot of rebuttal, right? A lot of like, well, no, no, no. Like here's, here's why they're wrong and all these things. But Jesus stands there quietly and just says, you've heard it. And Pontius Pilate then has a moment to begin to say, is all the information that's coming at me correct or is it false? And you already get a sense that he's like, there's something fishy going on here, right? Because he says that he sensed that there was envy. It says it in uh, verse 10. He says, for he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. He already sees something nefarious going on, right? He's like, these chief priests, they're up to some shenanigans. I don't know what's going on. But he starts to ask Jesus some questions, and he's asking the right questions, but he's not really willing to hear the truth. Uh, If you read in Matthew, there's also a real quick reference to Pontius Pilate's wife saying, I had a dream last night about this Jesus. So there's even other little confirming things going on about who Jesus is, and yet Pontius Pilate, leader of that little Roman world right there, doesn't even acknowledge it and just blows it off and just kind of puts it on the chief priests to give him the answer. I think it's interesting because what he does is basically ignore any kind of truth, anything that's coming at him, any kind of true decision-making that he could have done. Because as a leader, he could have easily said, the information that's coming at me doesn't line up, and I'm not going to go forward with this, right? But he was complacent and just said, yeah, whatever. What do you guys want? And it probably would have stirred up some controversy, but he would have had the power to say, I'm not going to be a part of this. But you can see he's leaning in a little bit going, there's something going on here. There's something bigger than what these chief priests are claiming in all these lies. And so that first character, I believe, is important because then he ends with, what do you guys want me to do with him? It's a very, like, noncommittal character flaw that I see in what Pontius Pilate did is just like, what do you guys want? Instead of saying, as I see this and as I've questioned it, this doesn't line up and we're not going to move forward. Instead, he goes, what do you guys want to do? Very just like, hands off. I want nothing to do with it. Pilate could have easily done his research. He could have dug into that dream that his wife had. Um, Something about his character allowed for the crucifixion to take place, allowed for Jesus to be abused, to be beaten and taken to a cross. His character said, I just, whatever, I don't really care. And I think that's the first character that we can learn from because I think at times I know that I can get complacent. And what I want to do in looking at these characters is say, where do we see ourselves in these characters, right? Because if we are ever in that place where we're just complacent and we're like, eh, There's an opportunity here to stand for what God believes in, and I'm just going to be complacent. I don't really care. Then maybe we need to rethink it and say, well, the heart of God would not be to murder somebody right now, right? That seems really obvious. Um, And yet, there's no 
No thought given to it. No leadership given to it. The second character we see here, is, or characters, is the chief priests. And I'm not going to hit on this very long, but basically they were, we see in Scripture, we see here that they were just casting lies over and over, just shouting out lies, basically just trying to accuse them of anything they possibly could. And it says there that everyone even denied it and said that, like, that's not true, right? So for, for the chief priest to come in and just say, hey, in verse 10, um, obviously he perceived that they were envious um, of what Jesus was doing and just wanted to shut him up. And so we've already discussed, if you want to go back to last week, we can dig into that more. The third character we see here is Jesus. And we see Jesus' response in this is very short. He says, you have said so. And the question of like, are you king of the Jews? And he says, you have said so. Basically confirming it. It's a very bold statement to say that he is king um, to someone who's in charge at that time that would truly be somewhat of a king, right? That would have the power and the ability of a king. Um, and so it kind of would have been a bit of like a, a spit in his face, um, or he would have seen it as like, yeah, that's cute. You think you're king, but you have no power over what's going on right now, which we're going to unpack here. Um, and so the question I want to ask is, why is Jesus so persistent in continuing to move towards silence and not just taking action and defending himself? And simply put, the way of sacrifice, I believe, the way of the cross brings life. And I want to unpack that a little bit because what Jesus does there is he doesn't confront and push back with an argument. What he does is he lets his life and the teaching that he did speak louder than him bringing some kind of argument, right? Because the chief priests and the crowd that was listening on would have heard Jesus' teaching. They would have been familiar with it. They would have been so in tune with what Jesus was doing because it's not a big town, right? And his preaching and his actions and everything he did would have stirred enough conversation to be like, there's something about what this Jesus is doing that is completely different than what we're seeing. And he's speaking truth and people are following him. He has disciples that are like crowding around him consistently. There has to be something really true about what's going on here. And yet the, the response that Jesus has in the face of like extreme persecution is just like, I'm going to let my life do the talking. Like, I'm not going to just like yell at you and spout off all the truths as to why I'm king of the Jews. Like, he lets his life do the talking. And this approach that Jesus has in responding in this argument, again, something we can learn from, I know that I can learn from in arguments and discussions and disagreements that I have with people, um, is I, I want to spout out my, my side of the truth, right? Or my side of the argument as fast as I possibly can. But something to learn here is his approach is so counterintuitive, but it speaks to somebody who is standing for truth, right? It speaks to somebody who isn't trying to just defend some kind of lie. It's like, no, I I know what I believe in, and here it is, and you can take it or leave it. And this way of life that Jesus brings and the, the way that he carries himself, even in the midst of this extreme scenario, is grace, right? He still has peace about him. He has a confidence about what God is doing through him. And, and so again, this is countercultural to what we deal with on a regular basis, right? 
When someone brings an argument, someone brings it back and brings in more heat, and the heat just keeps getting higher and higher, and the conversation gets more and more heated, right? Um, but the way of the cross, the way that Jesus brings this humility is completely unique. And here's why I believe that it's so powerful. The list that we've thrown out here, as I look at people in my life that exemplify character and exemplify the Jesus way of life with humility, um, are people who have centered their life around this way of life this way of sacrifice, this way of saying, I'm going to put my life on the back seat and I'm going to serve others. I'm going to love others. I'm going to put my focus on loving others more than my own agenda quite often. I'm going to care for people. I'm going to deeply love people. I'm going to serve people. And as I began to think through like how countercultural this is and how abnormal this is, it's still something that I think every single one of us agrees with. Because as I started to think through the list of people that live out this kind of character, I was like, this, these are the people that all of society, I think, believe are amazing, right? Think about teachers in your life that cared about you, that spent time communicating away in a way that made whatever topic it was interesting. They were trying to do whatever they could to help you understand and learn and so they gave up their time, they gave up their energy so that you could learn, right? A teacher is modeling this kind of life that Jesus shows us, right? It's like completely serving, it's caring. Um, I think of my kids' coaches. They're volunteers, they just like give up their time and they'll give up, like they'll take even days off in order to help my kids' team. And I watch how they invest in my kids' lives. Like when they come off the field, these coaches that I've, I've watched, how they like encourage them, but challenge them and continue to teach them of like, wait, hey, you guys saw somebody cheat or you saw something like go wrong. What can you do better next time so you guys can begin to, you know, show patience, show grace in the midst of this. And so I hear them like investing their lives into this team of kids that most people are like, well, whatever, like who cares, right? But coaches, those are people who care, who love, and just deeply want to see other people do really well. Good coaches, right? We've all seen bad coaches. But good coaches, like that's what it's all about. This is modeled in our world. It's just not elevated, I think, often enough. It's not elevated to something that's super important. I think of friends of mine who serve, who give up their lives to go be missionaries in other parts of the world and just go serve in a community. Um, I think of my buddy, Absolute, who lives in Haiti, who has a school of hundreds of kids. He lives in poverty, but yet runs a school because he says he wants to see students of a next generation begin to grow up educated, with wisdom, with character, with Christ-like character woven into their lives because he thinks that that will change the future of Haiti, that most people will write off and say there is no future for Haiti, Right? So people like that that give up their lives and continually just say, I want to like, I want to serve, I want to sacrifice, I'm going to like, I'm going to do whatever I can to like help others. Those are the kind of people that model this Jesus way of life that we see Jesus model, even in this moment where he's being persecuted and pushed back. He's still like, I'm going to serve, I'm going to love, I'm going to treat you with respect. And he continues to model this like character that is so good. So that's the third character. And then we have the fourth characters, the crew, the crowd, 
that is listening in, and we talked a little about this last week, that are shouting out, crucify him, right? They have heard the teachings of Jesus. They have followed him. They have seen what he's done. And at moments been like, yeah, we're all about what Jesus is doing. And then now they're standing there and everybody in the crowd is going, crucify him. We're done with him. Because of what leaders have told them. Leaders told them they need to just shout out whatever it is. And so they're just following the soundbite of whatever, like the crowd is, the, some other part of the crowd said. And so they're like, oh yeah, yes, they crucify Yeah, let's crucify him. Without even thinking about it, without even processing, what are we doing? Who are we crucifying? Oh, that was Jesus, the guy who's like going around healing people, bringing people back to life, like bringing new life, transforming lives continually. Oh yeah, that's naturally crucify him, right? Doesn't make any sense, but the crowd just goes with it. And maybe you've been part of that. And I know that there's times where I've been part of things where I'm like, I hear a soundbite of something where I go, oh yeah, that sounds kind of cool. Like whatever, I want to be part of that. And then I dig into it and I go, no, actually I don't. Like I want nothing to do with that after I really think about it. And maybe you've been there before. Maybe something's changed your mind and you've been like, yeah, I, I shouted out crucify him in some way or think of your own example. But um, the way of sacrifice that Jesus models here it's, it's so countercultural, and the crowd isn't even ready to hear it. They're just, they're just regurgitating what they've heard somebody else say. And it's so sad to watch that. But I think we have to begin to think about, when we think about our character and how it's developed, we have to think about what are the voices that are coming into our lives? What is the rest of the crowd saying? And if the rest of the crowd is saying, you need to have a house with a white picket fence and 2.5 kids and a certain amount of money in your bank account to be happy, don't listen to the crowd. The crowd will forever tell you lies. The crowd will forever feed us information that is not true. And I think we have to have discernment. We have to have the ability to look and say, what is truly life-giving? What is truly good? And, and it just we have, to, we have to ask those questions. We have to begin to sit with it. This crowd had seen Jesus, as I mentioned, and didn't even look at it with a critical lens. Um, another way to point out how our culture begins to be an expert on everything is um, we have this thing called YouTube, right? And I love it because we can jump on YouTube and I can learn how to fix my engine, do an oil change, you name it. The sky's the limit. But then there's also experts, right, on YouTube that think they know everything because they've, like, Googled a couple of things and now they know everything about whatever topic it is. I believe that we believe we're experts about a lot of things in some ways, because of all the information that we have at our fingertips, Google, um, an interesting thing that my kids watch is like life hacks. They watch them, there's insane amounts of views on these like life hack videos, and they watch them and they go, look at this crazy thing. And then there's life hack videos debunked, right? Because they're looking at it going, these life hacks, finger quotes, are just ways to get views on YouTube. And then there's other people getting views on YouTube by debunking the life hacks. 
So there's these lies and these people that think like they've figured it all out. And like, here's the solution to an easier life and make life easier, make your, your day easier, whatever it is. And we don't even sit and really try those things out. So we all think we're experts because we heard something and then we repost it and we share it and we go, look at this brilliant idea. And it's actually a lie, right? Um, I think we need to sit with some stuff and we need to wrestle with some things and we begin to build character through some of these processes, right? Knowing our values, being shaped by certain things in our lives because we place ourselves in opportunities to serve or be challenged, right? I think that's what sports does in a microcosm. It challenges us, it shapes us in a way. But I don't think that's a solution. I think maybe going out and serving and then being challenged with a difficulty and then recognizing how God might shape you to serve and be more generous. Um, our habits throughout the week, those shape our character, and those are things that we have to begin to sit with and say, this is what's truly going to make me an expert in this field. When it comes to following Jesus, like he's inviting us to follow him in every aspect of it and not just become like a YouTube expert that's kind of searched some stuff and then said, here's a life hack to make your life better, but really studying scripture, really sitting and praying and reflecting and going, what is the truth that God has brought to our lives and how do I begin to live it and then share that with others? So that it is a truth that is, that is grounded in a solid foundation that isn't just something like a flash in the pan made up idea that'll somehow make your life better, but something that'll truly transform life. And, I, and so I, I'd say all of this because I think that the crowd lacked discipline. The crowd lacked the discipline of sitting and really reflecting on God's word and really reflecting on who the person of Jesus really was. Was he a person that you should follow or was he just a crazy quack coming and teaching random stuff? And based on what the disciples did, they all died for their faith. I think that what Jesus was teaching was legit. I don't know too many people who would die for just a random quack, right? A random guy that came and has some beliefs. Like Jesus exemplified truth in every possible way. And so I want to talk about an invitation here now as we close is like, how do we begin to really live into this? How do we begin to build character in ways that is centered around Jesus and not centered around cultural, cool little like sound bites that help us supposedly succeed? But really, how do we find life and life to the full? And I believe it comes from this participation in what Jesus invites us into. What we do with Lectio Divina, what we do with Scripture, what we do with prayer, what we do when we come here and worship and sing, what we do when we have a conversation around a meal with somebody throughout the week is we discipline our lives around Jesus and we say, I want to be part of what Jesus is doing. When we sit and say, I'm going to take two minutes this morning just to read this passage and then I'm going to reflect on it the rest of the day, that's a discipline. That begins to shape us into becoming like Jesus and I believe that that requires an intentionality. Um, and we're not a workspace. Like, we're not saying, like, you got to work hard to become a Jesus follower. We're saying, follow him and begin to learn from him because he's going to teach you ways that are so good, so life-giving, and so transformative. And, um, and so hopefully these characters give us a, a begin, uh, I think, a, a framework for beginning to say, like, what are the areas of my life where maybe I'm just a crowd that, part of the crowd yelling out whatever the crowd's saying. What are the parts where maybe I have leadership and I'm not utilizing it in a way because I'm just kind of passive about my faith? 
like Pontius Pilate was. Just passive, like, what do you guys want to do with this? I don't really care. Um, or maybe you're like the chief priest, and you're like, I've just been fed this thing that challenges my way of life, and I don't want anything to do with it, so I'm going to do everything I can to push Jesus away. That's how he ended up on the cross. But the necessity of the cross was demonstrating sacrifice, demonstrating what it means to be leaders, demonstrating what it means to be parents, demonstrating what it means to be a coworker, a husband, a wife, a parent, whatever, in a way that shows servanthood, that, show, that models this kind of love for others that is so unique to what Jesus teaches us. Um, and a couple examples I just want to give you guys as we close out. I want to show you guys a quick video, a little three-minute video. But um, this way of sacrifice doesn't come easy, but it is very good. It is very life-giving. And, um, and so my challenge is, like, how are we, how are you participating in the way of Jesus? And we're going to wrestle with that this week. How are we participating in it? How are we actually engaging with our faith um, in meaningful ways? And... Um, and I'll just give you guys one small example that I noticed just in this week as I watched how my conversations with people often go towards either a negative about what's happening in our world or a negative about somebody else or a negative about something that's going on um, rather than a positive. And so my encouragement is just like one small example of ways that we begin to shift our thinking and shift our way of um, building character is to say, I'm going to find one positive thing to say in a conversation. I'm going to find one positive thing to say about someone else in a conversation. And watch how, when you consciously begin to do that, how that begins to shift your heart and begins to shift how we are perceived by others. Because I'm around a person that consistently does that, and I'm inspired by them. Because they're always like, have you seen how awesome so-and-so is? Have you seen how amazing it was that this person did this? And I'm like, I don't think I do that enough. And that was really inspiring to see that. And their character, they're not just doing that because someone told them to, but because they truly care about people and because they truly believe that that kind of conversation is way more productive and beautiful than look how horrible the world is or look how horrible this is or did you see what so-and-so did? Um, that's just one example I want to give us of how we begin to live into this. And I want to close with this video um, because I believe that this week, dealing with Veterans Day, there's opportunities, there are opportunities continually for us to speak what it means to bring life to others um, in a world that is dealing with a lot of pain, um, a lot of struggle, and uh, we have opportunities continually to begin to speak new life. And I think this video captures what it looks like to participate in what Jesus invites us into. So check this out. One of the big symptoms of people coming back from war is they feel numb. And that's where a lot of the alienation and separation in the veteran community comes from. It comes from moral injury. And uh, we're here to, to show what the church can do to heal moral injury. Almighty God, we give you thanks for these, my sisters and brothers who have gathered here on this long journey home from war. Moral injury deals with the shame, guilt, and moral pain involved with actions taken in combat. The problem is, in other words, in the psyche, in what theologians would identify as the soul. 
than war. You're out there to hurt people, to kill people, destroy things, or to stand by while it happens and not do anything to help. People feel like, if I did that, am I good anymore? No amount of kind of just talking it away makes it go away. I have to get to that place where I throw myself on the mercy of God. And even though God knows everything about me, God loves me, and God's love fills our life, and we can love again. And that's what we're here to do. We give people a chance to write out their moral injuries, things that, that they feel like they're carrying from the past, things they want to get rid of. We invite them to burn those papers in the fire, symbolizing how God takes away those things from us. And then those things aren't things we have to carry anymore. What I've experienced God doing is showing how profoundly loved we are by God in spite of the things we've done and the things we've left undone. I'm going to ask Amy to come with our seed bombs. Uh, some of you have dealt with live bombs and ammunition over your life, and these are live bombs indeed. They're bombs of wildflower seeds that you can take out into the world and create beauty. So these seed bombs are about growth and not destruction, about bringing beauty and not pain, renewal and not fear. Take these bombs with you and do with them what feels right to you. Creating God, bless these seed bombs which your people will sow in hope. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is darkness, let us sow light. Where there is sadness, let us sow joy. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. So I like the visual of planting seeds that transform life, um, that create beauty. And I think we have opportunities to do that on a daily basis. Um, Every single one of us, as we leave this place, we're going to have opportunities as we go in the rest of our day um, to plant seeds of hope, to bring words of encouragement, um, to begin to be the reflection and the sacrifice that Jesus made here as he goes towards the cross. Um, Jesus laid down his life for others, even though they all yelled at him, threw lies at him, beat him, threw him on a cross. There was still love for others. And I think that there is an invitation for us to do the same exact thing. Die to ourselves and say, you know what? I want others to experience life. I want others to begin to do that. And that's planting seeds. And how we begin to do that is how we serve throughout the day. Um, The words that we use, everything about our lives can begin to plant these seeds of hope in people's lives, um, in the jobs that we all go to throughout the week, in the families that we're in. Um, sure, there's going to be times where we mess up. Sure, there's going to be times where we fail, right? But what Jesus does is he continues to invite us to say, I want to build your character. I want to build the kind of person you are to be more loving, more kind, more like your Father in heaven. And so that's my prayer. That's my hope um, that we take a really difficult 
scenario like this and say, how can we begin to learn from these people's lives and begin to be the kind of people that that bring in this beauty into the world? So let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, these examples that we can learn from, um, these characters that uh, were flawed just as we all are, um, but learning to uh, begin to be more loving, more kind, more like you, Jesus. So transform us from the inside out. Uh, continue, continue to give us a heart for others. Um, help us to be reminded that we are loved and loved as we are, regardless of what we do. And, um, and we're invited to then go out and love others. And so uh, work through us this week. Help us to plant those seeds. We pray this in your name. Amen.